Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul. My co-host Justin Baker and I ready to continue part two of the Pacific Division season preview. Justin, how's your uh, how's life going? You know, it's been we we missed a week, and uh, and that's that's my bad. Probably it's usually my fault that we miss a week, uh, but we missed a week, and uh, and we're we're gonna make up for it this week with the Pacific Division and the Central Division. Yeah, I um. I am thoroughly disappointed I didn't get my Mark Paul fix in uh, last week. So, you know, um, all I can really say is, you know, hopefully we, we make up for it today with a, a little bit more loving. And, uh, yeah, let's let's kick it off. Let's go. All right. Let's head out to Calgary. As we've done, basically, uh, we've done all of California. And uh, it's time we hit the Canadian teams in this Pacific Division. If, if you didn't hear uh, the other part one of the Pacific Division just swing on over and, uh, you know, subscribe to the show and you can listen to us do LA Kings, San Jose Sharks, the Seattle Kraken and the Anaheim Ducks. But, uh, the Calgary Flames, a team that they, you know, they added players, they subtracted players. Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll go through those real quick. Blake Coleman, obviously the biggest acquisition for the Calgary Flames signs a, a big deal with them. Uh, Eric Branson, Brad Richardson, Trevor Lewis, Nikita Zadorov comes in a trade with the Blackhawks. They get Tyler Pitlick, the the Krakens. Uh, I think their first trade after the the expansion draft, and then Daniel Vladar from the Bruins, uh, backup goaltender. But they lose Mark Giordano, uh, Dominic Simon to the Penguins, and, and Derek Ryan to the Edmonton Oilers. So uh, I'd say that they they did add more than they lost, but it's almost like they added a lot of. Outside of Blake Coleman, a lot of middling, you know, bottom six, bottom pairing type of players. And there's a there's a lot of question marks about this team. We'll get into some of those the bigger questions for the year, but what are your thoughts on what they did? Obviously trying to make a push. They're not just sitting around waiting to go in last place or anything and, and getting a high draft pick. What is this team doing? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think this team is definitely in a limbo situation. Obviously, we know Giordano's gone. They've lost their captain, so leadership is is missing. Blake Coleman, he is definitely to me a middle six type of guy. So they bring in a guy who is uh, can grind a little bit and chip in here and there. Is he worth four point nine million dollars? Uh, in my opinion, no. But obviously, that was the price to pay to add a guy like that that had such a was such a crucial piece to Tampa Bay's back to back cups, and so. Um, for me, when I, when I say limbo, right, I, I think everybody's been hearing the rumors now for quite a while. And Johnny Hockey and Sean Monahan, these two guys, might not be back after this year. So uh, who knows what you're going to get, right? So obviously, they've, they've got to make some sort of push here. They've got to they've got to show the fans. They've got to show this team that say, hey, we are for real. We're really we're making strides. We're getting there. I mean, obviously, last year they they brought in a gr- great goaltender, in my opinion, of Jacob Markstrom, a guy who really solidifies that number one spot for them. Uh, you know, at this point, we'll see uh, maybe who their top pairing is going to be on D. Obviously, Giordano's not not there anymore, and so who fills that role? Um, they did go out and they they signed a couple guys. They brought in Erica Branson, Michael Stone. So we'll see if they can fill fill that by committee. Because in my opinion, I think uh, he is going to be missed. His leadership will be missed, and so we'll see who who really fills fills in there. Yeah, certainly it's. Also, I mean, you lose Giordano for nothing. That that's really what hurts, you know. For the fact nothing. That, that this next year he could have played for them, and if they weren't in a playoff spot, 
they would have probably been able to get a first round pick for him. You know, if especially if he was playing anywhere near his uh, his Norris Trophy winning season a couple years ago. So uh, I'm I'm looking at the way that the Flames have kind of patched things together, like you said, and and going. You know, is Blake Coleman enough? Now it was like this team had career years, and then the next year they just fell off the map, and and no one, everyone had like like career worst seasons. Um. I think you don't have to look further than Johnny Goodrow to look at and go, all right, like what's going to happen with this guy? He probably is the the biggest question mark headed into the season. He's he's a UFA after this year. And I, I mean, if they keep him and and this team, let's say they, I mean, this specific division is bad. I, the, the Flames probably last year in the North division, they, you know, barring a couple other circumstances. They could, they could have maybe been the fourth best team in that division, but now in the Pacific where really there's just two teams, Vegas and, and Edmonton and the rest of it's kind of a crapshoot, uh, at least according to, you know, according to on paper, they have a real opportunity to make the playoffs, but beyond, Hey, let's make the playoffs. I just don't see what is going to, what this team could do. I mean, I guess the biggest comparison I've seen is, well, they're kind of like Montreal. I've seen that out there. Like, oh, if they just get a little bit better in certain areas, they get a little luckier, they'll be like Montreal. And then, you know, who knows? And so maybe that's this is the one year that you go, well, who knows? Let's try it one more time, and we'll figure it out next year. Right, but at that point, it might be too late, right? Because, you know, Johnny Goudreau may say goodbye, and then, I mean, honestly, things are going to start to fall apart. You're going to lose your your number one point producer. Yes, they've got Matthew Kachuk, a guy who I think is is poised to be the next captain of this team and and future leader. But you know, at, at what point does Sean Monahan say, "Okay, cool, Johnny Hockey's gone"? You know, it's basically just me and and Elias Lindholm and, and Kachuk here at this point. Uh, you know, Sean Monahan again, he's not going to get a huge return. His production last year dipped heavily, and at you know 28 points and a minus six overall in 50 games that's not going to net you a big return for a guy who still has you know yes another year on his contract but you know not many teams can squeeze a guy in there at six plus million dollars and so right unless you're willing to eat half of it and right i mean is monahan as bad as he was last year i don't think so i agree with you. i I think that he's on a really good team he's a third line center problem is in calgary he's a third line center right now on an, <laughs> on a not great team. And I mean, you know, you look at who's ahead of him and you go, okay, all right, you know, that's Elias Lindholm, probably he's he's going to center that top line and then you've got Michael Backlund coming in and centering the second line and and I, I think he slides all the way down again and I mean, barring injury, you know, really what are you going to exp- what are you going to get for him? A third, maybe a second a second round pick probably generous right now and that that maybe would be a team that goes okay he can slot in as our third line center and and we'd be much better with monahan as our third line center in comparison to x like imagine vegas going out and getting sean monahan and not having to uh i mean their center position is kind of is pretty weak chandler stevenson their number one center uh maybe you say carlson is their number one center but chandler stevenson playing up in the lineup 
uh, you look at that and go, hey, maybe a Monahan allows them to do more things. Like that, that's just one example. There's several teams out there who could use that third center and use them at the deadline. So it's always possible you get a team who can squeeze them in, but not likely this season, especially given his no trade clause. Um, it's it's not that big of a deal, a 10-team no-trade list, but uh, I think it's a lot easier probably to justify trading Johnny Goudreau, trading Zadorov at the deadline. You know, there's there's a couple other pieces, I think, that are more likely to be moved this season. And I think the biggest question mark is Johnny Goudreau. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, obviously... I think, you know, when you talk about a Monahan trade, too, I think it's more likely to come next offseason because if you see Johnny Goudreau get traded, if you see this team really fall off the rails and, you know, they can't even compete in a weak Pacific division with a team like Seattle, Anaheim, San Jose, teams that are probably going to be at the bottom, you know, if they're right there with those teams, maybe Monahan says, okay, cool, uh, you know, it's time to time to move me. And, you know, maybe the team looks and says, cool, let's start rebuilding because Kachuk, again, 23 years old, He's got some years ahead of him. So, you know, maybe this team hits the reset button really quick if those two guys are on their way out. Yeah. Uh, here, here's the question that I, I just want to – I think this team is just kind of – we don't know who they are, and that's probably the biggest, like, who are these Flames? Like, you could see so many scenarios playing out for this team this year. What do you think will actually happen? Put me in the Actual- – in your action, this is your your prediction for the Flames. Not necessarily yeah. like make the playoffs, or, but what do you think they'll be? I think they'll be competitive. They'll be in games, but will they win those games? I don't know. I think they're going to be close. I the, the problem for me is is I don't feel confident about their defense to say, hey, you know what? If they get in those close one goal games, this defense can shut teams down completely. Yes, Christopher Tanev, I like him a lot. After that. I'm not so confident as far as a top pairing guy, you know, maybe Noah Hannafin comes into his own again. I I know they have a lot of confidence in him to develop and, you know, maybe it's, it's the time where you say, okay, this guy's really just not going to develop at this point or, or be that top two guy that maybe they envisioned him to be when they traded for him from the Carolina hurricanes. But to me, I think this is a make it or break it year for him as far as, you know, where his potential is. And so, uh, you know, again, outside of Tanev, I don't think they have the ability to shut teams down. So they're going to have to keep up and, you know, win those 4-3, 5-4 games if they hope to stay in this race. And luckily for them, they're in a weak division again. And so for me, I just think this team really is going to be right there in the middle, in the thick of it, and we'll see where they finish. Yeah, I, I think their success is largely dependent on other teams' demise uh, in this in this division. I, I there's t- other teams that I think have a, a bigger ceiling uh, as far like or maybe a more likely playoff berth than the Flames. But I could definitely see scenarios where the Flames do figure out a way to make the playoffs and things work out for them. Uh, I I'll say. I'm just wondering if, you know, if they can lock Matthew Kachuk up to a, a nice long-term deal here, I think that it, it'll speak volumes to what this team can do and, and is going to do in the future. If if he goes in and, and nobody's making a move, nobody's doing anything, he's a free agent, Johnny Gaudreau walks, it's going to probably get ugly here. Um, yeah. So. And the other thing we, we didn't even mention, really, I mean, what about the backup goaltending position, right? I mean... Jacob Markstrom, I think, is going to keep them in games every night. He's going to do his best to to keep this team competitive. But 
you know, if he, he can't go out there and play 70 games a season. So is Daniel Vladar the answer there? I mean, he, he looked mediocre in Boston last year. So they, they made a move for him. They've got Dustin Wolf in the minors, but you know, he's still 20. He hasn't really developed yet. So, you know, what are they going to get out of a backup position that can, you know, win them maybe 10 games out of the possible 25, I would expect a backup to play for this team. Yeah, I mean, it, well, if, they, if the backup only wins 10 of 25 games, unless there's a lot of overtime losses, then you can go ahead and guarantee the, the Flames aren't going to make the playoffs. You know, what <laughs> if, if he's playing... I Now, one of the questions that I had was, you know, how many games does Jacob Markstrom actually play? You know, what's uh, like his over under for or his his tops of his career is 60 games. He played 60 games in both 17, 18 and 18, 19, uh, 43 the last two years. Obviously not his fault. I mean, he played 43 out of 48 games, right? 48 games or was it more? There was 50, 56. 56. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. For, I'm thinking of the lockout here. <laughs> 43 out of 56. So you span that out. I mean, yeah. That's almost 75%. Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking at probably he's playing 60 something. Now, is that more next year? Like, is he going to, what's your over, over under, how about 65 games? What's your over under for Jacob Markstrom? Oh, I would put him, I would put him at the over. I could see him playing anywhere between 65 and 68 games this year. No problem. Wow. I mean, you give the backup goaltender maybe 18, 20 games at the most. And, you know, again, that's that's putting him at 62 if you give the backup 20 games. So, uh, you know, just a few games either way. And, you know, you've got him pushing that 65 mark. So, to me, it wouldn't shock me if I see him play 67. Okay. All right. I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to say that they're because of what's going to happen later in the season. I think they're going to be giving him some a little bit of rest. But he, he's really he doesn't get hurt very often. He's that's that's my child making noises. Hi, uh, and uh, <laughs> she she was about to say that she doesn't think that Markstrom will get hurt. But she but you know that towards the end of the year, you might be looking at it and going, there's no point in playing him when we're this far out of the playoffs. So that, that sure. would be the one way that he doesn't get there. Now, if we're in February and they're right on the playoff bubble, he's probably playing practically every night. He might get, you know, if they, they have a three and four, he'll probably get game two off, but that's probably the only way he's going to get games off down the stretch. Okay, let's uh, let's shift gears. We'll go to the Edmonton Oilers. The Edmonton Oilers made some big acquisitions. They really didn't lose a ton. You know, they they make a trade. They trade Ethan Bear for Warren Fogle. So they trade off the defense and, and acquire a forward, which is what they desperately need is some depth at forward. James Neal gets bought out, but they bring in Duncan Keith. So you know, maybe Father Time loses this once for Duncan Keith. Uh, Zach Hyman signs a fatty deal with the Oilers to come in and see if he can play alongside, you know, either Connor McJesus or anyone. Like you could put him with with anyone, and he'll probably make them better. Like I, I saw, you know, he could play with Drysaitel, he could play with McDavid, but he could also play down in the lineup, maybe play in that third line, and and try to 
spark some offense elsewhere. Uh, they also have Cody Cece signs a, a deal there after having a good season with Pittsburgh. And I'll say this as an addition because we thought he might not. Mike Smith resigns after a, a really good year. Uh, so the Oilers were pretty busy. But they've got some big question marks again. And I think number one on that list is who's going to score outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl? Yeah, that is, I mean, that's the question, right? Because obviously they brought in Zach Hyman to help generate more offense for one of those two top lines. But again, the question is, yeah, who's going to score? Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I think he's going to be just fine. I think he's still going to produce maybe you know, not obviously not at McDavid or dry side levels, but, um, you know, he still has the ability to produce and he's, he's a great, uh, fit in that middle six, whether or not you play him on the wing with dry or you move him down to that third line center role. I think he still is going to be fantastic. Uh, to me, I'm honestly looking as far as an X factor for scoring. I'm looking at Warren Fogle. Um, honestly, I, I think not a lot of people, um, had high expectations from Edmonton when they brought him in. But I think, you know, the way he showed the, the capability to produce and just those rare moments, right, when you always are, are looking for third or fourth line guys to chip in, he always seemed to do that for Carolina, right? And I think when you look at his last two seasons, 20 points, 10 goals, 30 points prior with 13 goals, he can produce. And so if you maybe pair him up, you know, again, depending on where you want to slide Zach Hyman, uh, you know, maybe you put Fogel on that second line and, uh, you put Nugent Hopkins down at that third line center spot to spread out the offense, maybe a little. You know, again, there's flexibility with that guy, and I think he's still capable of of playing some some good minutes and producing and chipping in a few goals here. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he's. I think at this point, you know, the year that he in in uh, 2018 19, you know, coming off of a big AHL year, the year before he had 28 goals in 73 games. Uh, and scored 10 goals in a really limited role for the Carolina Hurricanes. And I thought, okay, this guy could be somebody who could really score for us. Uh, I, I think that we now know what he is. Like, he is he is a guy who, he's a bottom six guy. He could play up in the lineup because he does have a decent shot. And yeah, it'd be fascinating to see, you know, hey, the, the greatest players of all time have made worse players than Warren Fogle the best goal scorer in the league that year. So weird. I'm glad you referenced that. <laughs> weird things can happen when you play with really good players. So uh, I don't know if if that is in the cards for uh, for this, you know, for Warren Fogle and the Oilers, but he could certainly have a career year. I mean, he could easily have 20 goals, maybe even 25, you know, given the given the right spot in the lineup. Now, if he's playing on the third line, if he's just playing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I I would think like a 15 to a 15 18 goal season would be really good for Fogel. Now, if you play him way up in the lineup and he he gets some crazy opportunities and setups because no one's paying attention to him, you know, maybe maybe he's this this year's freak 30 goal scorer. Uh, I think that you know, if if you went around the league and you said who's someone who's never scored more than twenty goals before who could get thirty this year, he might be number one on the list. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know what we we've got Kyler Yamamoto. He still needs a new contract, but you know he's a guy who you know, assuming he signs and starts the season, 
he looked pretty good with with Drysidle last year. Uh, Yessi Pooley-Arvey, he looks pretty good as well. So maybe he continues to chip in and plays well. Obviously, last year was was all right with 25 points, but he still managed 15 goals. And so, you know, maybe getting in a full season with McDavid and with Hyman, maybe on that top line, that would look all right. Um, again, I'm not sure where the coach is going to go with that, but – uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you get to play with McDavid all year, you'll probably do all right. So, uh, obviously, Hyman's going to create some space for McDavid to just destroy people. So, we'll we'll see again if he gets to play on that top line too. But now, yeah, if, Zach, I, if Zach Hyman goes to uh, and plays with McDavid, and McDavid gets like 200 points, then is <laughs> is Zach Hyman automatically a Hall of Famer <laughs> because he helped someone get to 200 points? No, I. Uh, one other question, you know, we, we could, we could hang on Warren Fogel all day, but, uh, I think the big focus coming into this season for the Oilers outside of what, what happens with McDavid always is can Duncan Keith turn back the clock? You know, they bring in Duncan Keith. They, they don't spend a lot to get him, but he is definitely brought in to make an impact. I mean, they get rid of Ethan bear because of his impact on the, on the defensive side. Uh, they also bring in Cody CC. So this, this blue line is somewhat, you know, it's, it's, it has a different look than it did last year. And Duncan Keith, are we going to see the Duncan Keith of, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm basically a fifth, sixth defenseman, or is this where, you know, he kind of gets that, you get that player who, Late in their career, they've got one good one left in them. Is this the one good one, or is this you? You got a name to sell some jerseys. Boy, yeah, I I don't think they have to worry about selling jerseys, right? I think they got well, they got a couple of guys that can do that for them. But um, I get where you're going with that. But for me, you know what? I think this is all about utilization, right? You find the right spots to use this guy. And again, that's limited minutes. You put him maybe on that second power play because they've got their workhorse and Darnell Nurse. He's going to go out there and pop over 25 minutes a night on that blue line. Tyson Berry, I still think he's a capable guy to put on your second pairing and maybe can lead that first power play unit. Looked really, really good last year. And so hopefully if things continue, you know, again, I don't think they'll they'll worry about having to pay Duncan Keith money to play, you know, those those bottom pair minutes. But uh, for me, obviously, I'm just a little bit more concerned with the money they spent on their back end. Obviously, they gave Darnell Nurse a big extension at $9.2 million. Um, while I think he's worth being paid like a top top two defenseman, I don't think he's worth being paid that kind of money uh, compared to some of these other you know defensemen that are signed at that money. But again, now, now, we, now some of it is the fact that he did give it like these are UFA years. Sure. Uh, that's a big, big factor. I think all of them are UFA years. Um, so that's yeah. a huge factor. As well, Edmonton, in order to get guys to stay in Edmonton, you got to pay. Like, that just is the reality. So, yeah, are they probably having to spend an extra quarter of a million to a million dollars a year more to keep them in Edmonton? Probably. And and that's really where the I think the challenge is in certain markets is you sometimes have to overpay guys to stay and therefore there's not the money for depth players, which, you know, Hey, the Oilers are, are seeing that, um, granted Leon Dreisaitl should be paid 
11 million, 11 and a half, maybe close, maybe almost the same as Connor McDavid is, but he's making 4 million bucks a year less. So, uh, who's right. the, who's the, the true hero on this team, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh I mean, so for me, the other big question mark too is right. Um, I got to look at what this team did at the draft too. Um, you know, I look at them with a, a goaltending problem here coming down the pipes they have nobody to eventually get there. And they went ahead and, uh, you know, traded with the, uh, obviously the Red Wings traded up, got their goaltender. And then, you know, lo and behold, what is, what are the Oilers do? They trade with Minnesota and let the second best or maybe the first best goaltender, depending on who you ask, Jesper Wallstead, go to, go to Minnesota when they, they could have snatched up this guy and potentially had their starting goaltender, you know, in a couple of years after Mike Smith's deal runs out. I'll say this, though. As far as the current management goes, Ken Holland is, I'm sure, looking at a goalie in the draft going, well, that's five years from now. Uh, I'm probably not going to be the GM five years from now if we haven't won a cup. <laughs> so I'm not going to worry about that. Uh, now, down, see, that's some of the problem is that you know a GM, the guy who makes the ultimate decision on who you're going to draft, he's thinking about his job. Now, how many... How how many goalies have gone later, much later than they should, because they usually aren't ready till they're 22 or 23, when really if you were thinking like, what's the best thing for the team long term? Well, then you're probably taking a goalie earlier. But because of the late development, you just say, well, I'll just get a guy in free agency. <laughs> At least most, you know, most general managers do. Um, the really yeah, good ones. Uh, like Steve Eiserman, <laughs> he gets right. he get, drafts really good goaltenders. Yeah, luckily for Edmonton, I will say this. Obviously, uh, you know, Kakinen's deal is up after this season, but they do have some some interesting options next offseason. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of interesting names like Darcy Kemper if they don't get him re-signed in Colorado, Merslikin, Corpusalo, uh, you know, again Gorgiev and in New York. So there there's going to be some names out there that potentially they could go out and you know, again, fill the hole and, um, you know, maybe not have to worry about that, that missed draft pick there. So everyone loves filling a good hole. Um, (laughs) ultimately last thing on the Oilers playoffs, all that really matters. They're, they're there now. Like they've made it. They clearly are a good team. Now let's see, let's see what you can do. And, uh, until they, you know, until they have playoff success, almost everything else is moot. Other than, you know, hey, we sure we'd love to see Connor McDavid go ham and put up some huge numbers, but I think yeah. it's it's playoffs, it's winning winning rounds, uh much like they're very similar, very much in the same boat as the Leafs. Like you better win around in the playoffs or people are gonna lose their minds. Now maybe Leafs fans are like one year ahead of the Oilers. Uh, but I think that Connor McDavid is probably right there. Like, we better start doing something in the playoffs or, you know, I'm going to go all Jack Eichel on your ass. <laughs> right. And luckily for Edmonton, they don't have to face Winnipeg again this year. Uh, I would say as long as they don't face Vegas in the first round, I think they might be all right. Perfect. Okay, let's head over to Vancouver. Uh, probably, for my money, the most interesting team coming into this year in the Pacific Division from the perspective of this team really did their best to improve. I I think out of any team in this division, they improved the most, in my opinion. And 
they are going for it. Like this team is ready to roll, and the based on the players they brought in, uh, they're definitely trying to make the playoffs and they're trying to win a round, which would be fascinating uh, to say the least. They they are look likely looking to play the role of spoiler because you know you're probably either going to get Edmonton or Vegas in the first round, and that that'll be. That'll be a good time <laughs> for whoever has to <laughs> pull that draw. Uh, the Canucks add Connor Garland and Oliver Ekman Larson in a trade. Uh, they grab Jason Dickinson from the Dallas Stars. Yaroslav Halak signs with them as a backup goalie. And Tucker Poolman signs that uh, fatty deal for a guy that, you know, only 13% of hockey fans actually know who he is. Uh, and then. I wanted to put this guy on the on here, Vasily Podkolzin. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, he it looks like he's going to make the team, and he could play up in their top six. He's going to be like the next. You know, you've got Brock Besser and Pedersen. He's going to likely be the next Vancouver Canuck player to to hit and to do really well. Uh, so that that he's a big game changer. They lose Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, which w- those two guys signed the same offseason. Uh, both of them gone. Louis Erickson, bye-bye. Nate Schmidt pieces out. Braden Holtby, the experiment failed. And longtime Canuck, actually forever Canuck, Alex Edler, finally decides to, uh, to get out of there, heads down the coast to L.A., yeah, I'm excited for this team, to be quite honest. I'm with you. I think they're they're an interesting team where I think we're like a team like Calgary where I can't quite figure out where they're going to be. I'm more interested in where this team's going to be just because of all the moves they made. And I think they're they're poised to just – they're poised to make some noise. I mean, they, they could – I mean, assuming they get Elias Pedersen signed, um, they, could, they could be such a fun team to watch game in and game out because, I mean – for me, I love Bo Horvat, JT Miller, the the defensive two way game that those those guys bring, and uh, Elias Pettersson obviously is a lot of fun to watch. And if Brock Besser can stay healthy and score some goals, I mean the additions of Connor Garland, he he's going to add some really nice depth for this team. And Tanner Pearson, if he can he can still find his game and still play with some some spunk to him, I think this could be really really exciting to watch this Vancouver team, and especially again in this division where I think there are some some weaker teams where they can take advantage of and really pad their stats. Yeah. Uh, Quinn Hughes as well needs a contract. So, Oh yes, of course. Uh, of course. That is kind of my, like, I see what they're trying to do here. I, I really like it. Like I love, you know, Connor Garland coming in is going to, to really solidify that top six. I think he does just that. Oliver Ekman Larson has been on the downslide, but also he's been on the downslide with a, a brutal team. I mean, it's just been rough to be in Arizona. I got to think that a fresh start for OEL is going to, like, he may not be the, this guy could win the Norris kind of OEL, but I I think we're going to see the definite top four OEL here in Vancouver. He's going to get plenty of opportunities to, to quarterback their power play and to, you know, really be an important part to this team. Uh, maybe that second power play, you know, give Quinn Hughes the first and uh, Larson the second. But I, I really think that he's poised to have a nice turnaround in Vancouver, which I'm sure they hope so as well, uh, seeing as they're paying him a bunch as well. But 
to me, the question really coming into this year is, all right, we got to resign Pedersen, got to resign Quinn Hughes. Plus, I mean, this isn't just, hey, let's do these things and, and wrap wrap it up. I mean, then you got to resign Brock Besser. Like, they're three best players in a tw- you know less than 12 months all need a new contract. And that is going to be tricky. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if the reason why you don't see these two other guys with contracts is because they're negotiating with all three at once. Now, yeah, I haven't heard it. Like this isn't like, Oh, I heard something special down the pipeline or I've read it. I actually haven't read that at all. Uh, but generally I know you, you negotiate with guys individually, but if you, if you go, Hey, like, you know, we, we've got basically our agreements with these guys. We're just trying to see if we can get all three of them done and announce them all at once. That would be, you know, that, that to me, that would be big news and it, it would show that they're, they're solid. They're moving forward. Uh, I think that's a possibility. Uh, I also am, I mean, I just, Vancouver has never been a team that's, that's just trying to lowball people all, all day long. Like they've always been a team that's willing to spend. Uh, so I guess I'm kind of wondering like, what's the holdup? Because the other side of it is, I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, Elias Pettersson's really good <laughs> and I'd be willing to sign him to a pretty big deal and have to give up a few picks for him. You know, are, are we going to see an offer sheet if the, he doesn't get signed here in the next couple of weeks? Like, is that possible? And I mean, you got to think that that's at least somewhat on their mind. I mean, they've got two real, probably the two best players not signed right now outside of Kaprizov. Yeah, I will say luckily for them, uh, nobody can offer uh, Sheikwin right, Hughes because right, that right. would have been done already. Because <laughs> right. um, he's but, in that 10.2C thing. Hasn't played yeah, enough games yet. Exactly. Group 2 status, whatever that is. But um, I honestly, what I what I really think it is, first off, I think you look at Quinn Hughes. I think bringing in OEL kind of threw a wrench in his maybe his agent's plans as far as what they were looking for because now you look at it and you say, okay, this guy's signed long-term. And so maybe, I mean, maybe they were looking at a long-term deal to begin with at big money, but now you look at it and say, okay, well, at 7.2, obviously maybe we want nine-plus million dollars now at this point. Maybe Quinn Hughes was thinking, okay, cool, I'll go in and I'll take a more team-friendly deal for two or three years at maybe 7.5-ish you know, money to kind of, you know, help get Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser signed. But now you look at it and you say, okay, OEL signed at 7.2. Well, crap, now I want $9 million. Because if you think that guy's worth 7.2, I'm definitely worth more than that guy. So uh, maybe In that fairness, they weren't the ones that signed him to that deal. No, no, absolutely but. not. But they went out and they made the move. They brought him in. So they knew what they were getting into. They were willing to, to pay him that money, obviously. Sure. So now they have to be willing to pay Quinn Hughes well, more money. I also think uh, you're going. You're you're looking at the Edmonton Oilers and looking at what they were willing to to give to Darnell Nurse nine point two five million for a bunch of UFA years. So right. yes, those are UFA years. But who do you want, Darnell Nurse or Quinn Hughes? Uh, obviously, probably Quinn Hughes. Uh, but I'm thinking like he's he's got to be going. Well, I'm I'm probably worth. Maybe not 9.2 because these are RFA years, but 
I mean, I want my eight and a half, you know, pretty darn close, probably just for a few years. I'm sure Vancouver would like to lock him in for the next eight. And he's probably thinking, well, I don't want to be locked in for that long. You know, I'll go, I'll go for five or for six so that. I don't can... even think he wants five or six. I think, honestly, Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes, they're probably like, let's do it for, for three years. Let's take those bridge deals. Then once the NHL gets past that whole helmet yeah. ads, they start bringing in the revenue, they can cash in and cash in big once that cap goes up. And I, I'm thinking that's what's on their minds right now. And I think Edmund, or Vancouver knows this, and they're trying to lock them in for eight years for sure. I don't disagree. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously Vancouver is like, well, let's get these guys to huge deals. And, and it, if they were going to do that, they would have to give up quite a bit. Uh, sure. Can Demco take the reins in net? You know, let, let's shift gears from contracts. Uh, Thatcher Demko had the great playoff. You know, Markstrom leaves. He had a pretty good year last year, a 915 save percentage. He played well. Uh, but that's in 35 games. You know, he had Braden Holby behind him. Now, granted, Holby didn't play that great, but he still had Holby behind him. He's got Yaroslav Halak behind him now, who has proven to be maybe the best friend to a goalie. <laughs> like, he's not going <laughs> to ever be the starter. You know, unless you get hurt, he's rare. Like, he's probably not going to be the starter. Uh, he's capable of probably still playing 30. He could probably play more than that if, if somebody gets hurt, but probably you're comfortable with him playing the like 25-ish games somewhere in there. Uh, he played 19 last year in a shortened season. You know, Demko playing 35, probably this year he's going to be playing at least 50, right? Are, are we are we there 50 games for Demko? Assuming oh, that he's playing well, uh, 50 games. He's never played that yeah. many games. You know, that... That to me is that like literally his entire career he has not played that many games, uh, right. <laughs> so that is you know he played forty five with Boston College, played forty six with Vancouver in twenty seventeen eighteen, uh, but I don't oh no no, no I'm sorry with the Utica Comets he played forty six so that's the uh, twenty seven eighteen is the last time he played more than forty games in a year, so it's been a minute. Can he handle it? Yeah. That would be my my big question. Can he Yeah, handle? I have I have no doubts he's he's capable. I, I think they've they brought this guy in slow enough to where I think they're ready to just release him in the wild now. Let him go ham. Um now, you know, again last year started off a little slow, really picked up at the end of the year, so you're hoping that success continues and that's why they locked him in to this this kind of money here at five mil. So they're not gonna they're not going to get burnt on a contract, I think, long term if he doesn't pan out. But I still think he's more than capable of putting up 50, 55 games, no problem. And luckily for them, they do have Halak back there, who I think is more than capable of handing 25 games. And not to mention, too, in the minors, they've got this other kid named Michael DiPietro, who is a pretty dang good goaltender. Very true, um, yes. Who I think will eventually be there to be the that 1A, 1B punch where I think they'll be able to give a little bit more balance to both of these guys. Um, but for now, I think they've, they've got a pretty good trio of goaltenders there where I think, you know, if one guy really isn't doing well, they've got some, some safeguards in place to really just, you know, like, you know, in, in case Demko gets hurt or if he isn't playing well, right. Halak sure, sure. Step there's, in there there's something behind him. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And so 
Well, well, what I'm more curious about for Halak, if he gets in that situation, right, he doesn't have the type of defensive team like Boston was in front of him to maybe shut things down and play in those tighter games. So we'll we'll see if he can handle it. That's true. Good good point. Yes, Halak. It's it's been a long time since Halak's played outside of the Boston system, um, and Vancouver is definitely not built the same way that the Bruins are. However, uh, they do have some really nice, like their bottom six, and and that Bo Horvat line especially is is poised. They they're just. I mean, I'd say that they're as close to like, hey, we can kind of play that. Like, I can play like Patrice Bergeron, like you know, a two way game. We'll say a two-way game. Yeah, the uh, poor man's Patisse Bergeron. Bo, Bo Horvat can do it. Brandon Sutter sign it, re-signing at $1.125 million, much better than the four-plus that he was making last year and in, in his previous contract. And he will he slots nicely as a fourth-line center. Um, and then Jason Dickinson coming in as the third-line center, a very responsible player, uh, somebody who's not afraid to, to use their body. And, you know, he, he puts up decent points, but he's definitely more the two-way guy. Uh, so I, I look at that and I I see how the Canucks are trying to insulate some of their younger players and their younger goaltenders. Uh, so I, I think they're they're pretty poised to be able to be in a much better defensive position. I did want to draw some attention to one one player. If you didn't pay attention to the Canucks last year, which to be honest was was difficult at times, especially since you know they played 3,800 games against the Calgary Flames at the end of the year. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks second round pick in 2019, 40th overall, Nils Holglander, uh, he had a really nice season coming down the stretch. He ended up with 13 goals, 14 assists in, tw- in 56 games uh, in what you know essentially is his rookie season. And when you look at some underlying numbers, his five-on-five stats were absolutely insane. First in shots on net, First in individual scoring chances, first in goals, second in points, first in Corsi, second in expected goal share, and however, seventh in ice time. Like, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Not this guy was five on five, was an absolute monster for the Vancouver Canucks. When I look at what he was able to do last year, you know, now he's he's a year older. He's now he's only twenty years old, and he's leading the team in those those huge important categories. And he's somebody that could be the surprise. Goes and puts up fifty plus points uh, for the Canucks. He's who I'd be looking at to uh, you know, despite the nice moves that they made, we might be looking at the end of this year and going Nils Hoglander is he was the guy like he he was the reason that the Canucks took a huge next step because suddenly they had that extra threat and, yeah uh, and that's what they need right beyond Brock Besser and you know Elias Pettersson they need a guy in that second line who can really do that and so when you're when you've got a guy like Bo Horvat who can win draws play that gritty game and really play good defensively you're allowed to go out and really take those opportunities and take those extra chances that maybe you know, other guys, you know, at center maybe wouldn't allow you to do. And so, yeah, it's it's a good opportunity for him. I think that second line just fits him perfectly. And as long as, you know, who knows, they might get they might throw Connor Garland on that line too. And then, yep. then man, I think he could really he could really take off. Yep. I love it. Uh I Vancouver is probably my like they're the one team that I think 
when I look up and down this division, if if you had you know outside of Edmonton and Vegas, I'd say they're the most likely to make the playoffs. I don't okay. know that they will, but I think that they are the best team besides those two teams. And uh, so, for my money, they're the third seed in this division. Uh, if I'm doing a playoff deal right now, I, I really like what they were able to do in the offseason. Well, off-season. we'll get to. We'll get to throw those predictions here after this last team, so Absolutely. I can't wait to hear it. Yep, let's do the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, they go out and they make some some decent splashes for a team that seems always to be at or, you know, hey, they're over the cap, but who cares? It's Vegas. Uh, Evgeny Dadanov come, or Dadonov, sorry, comes from Ottawa. Kind of a failed experiment there in Ottawa for Dadonov, so he comes over to Vegas. Uh, Nolan Patrick in a three-way trade with the Nashville Predators, finds his way to Vegas as a Cody Glass on his way out. I'll say probably the biggest addition who was already on their team but ends up re-signing, Alec Martinez. I mean, no one expected this guy to re-sign with Vegas. He is able to. Uh, a really important signing, I think, for Vegas there. Uh, Laurent Brassois comes and signs in the backup goaltending position as Marc-Andre Fleury is on his way out as he was traded for a puck and a pack of peanuts. And (laughs) Brett Howden coming over as well to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, The only other big loss for the Knights, more or less in in name and in reputation rather than what he actually brought to the scoreboard, uh, Ryan Reeves goes to the New York Rangers. So... The Vegas Golden Knights, they are actually going into this next season with five defensemen. They're going to play five defensemen and 13 forwards. Wow. That's, I like it, though. I, I, was, I was reading about it, and that's, uh, that's what they've decided to do based on because of their salary cap restrictions. <laughs> they have no choice. Well, what I will say is, I mean, when you look at their top three, even their top four, but, I mean, Petrangelo, Martinez, and Theodore, you can play those guys 25 minutes a night all day long. So oh, Yeah, they basically said, that, yeah, we're going to play Petrangelo and Theodore all night. <laughs> I think yeah. they're both going to play 30 minutes, 28, 30 minutes a night, and they're going to no get monster minutes. That. Yeah, I think yeah. that it's a cool, like, it's a pretty cool experiment in, like, hey, if you need to sign guys, and that's going to leave you short. Now, you know, Tampa Bay, they played in the playoffs with seven defensemen and only 11 forwards. So they did kind of the opposite, which that's been done. You know, a lot of times you can, you can even have a defenseman go up and play as a forward for a minute, like depending on, you know, who they are and how, how well they can skate. You can kind of shift that defenseman around that that's been done over the years. There hasn't been too many. I I actually don't know of of many teams that have said, yeah, we're just going to intentionally go into the year with only five defensemen. Right. (laughs) Bless you. That was a good sneeze. I think I managed to mute it before, uh, before the sneeze got through, but sorry, everyone, you, you missed out on my sneeze. Uh, (laughs) Now, big questions for this team. It's Stanley cup or bust, right? Like, this really how far ahead will this team finish in the Pacific is kind of kind of the attitude that this team has taken into this season because it truly is they, like they have to win the cup I mean the expectations are very high and they've once again gone all in and they're doing everything that they can to uh, 
to win this cup and they're in the perfect division to do so because they have probably the easiest first two rounds out of any other team. Yeah, I think honestly, I think there's 31 teams in the NHL that might look at this team and say, Hey, you're still missing that number one center to be that elite threat in the Stanley cup finals. But I think Vegas is looking at it. And I think, gosh, I, I even think Peter DeBoer or Kelly McCrimmon, I can't remember who it was, came out and said, Hey, uh, I think we're okay with where we're at, and you know I don't think we we have a number one center problem. So, you know, kudos to them. I think obviously that's the reason they brought in Nolan Patrick as well. They made they were willing to make that three way trade because they think this guy who was you know a former high draft pick, number two overall. Um, I think they feel that this kid still has you know again outside of the health issues. I think if he can stay healthy, I think they feel with the right ice time and right partners that maybe he could potentially be that guy for them. Obviously I, I think they're keeping their fingers crossed because you don't want to go in with Chandler Stevenson as your number one center to, you know, face the team in the East, maybe say, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, you throw in a, another, you know, break well, pointer. <laughs> right. In your yeah, own division, you, gotta you got probably going to go through Edmonton. So yeah, you're going to have to, your, your center position is, is quite important. <laughs> right. And I mean, when you look at a guy like Mark Stone and, and Max Pacioretty, right, those guys can shut down other players. They can keep up and, and produce offensively when needed, but they still need somebody who can dish, who can win faceoffs. And so, you know, maybe Nolan Patrick finds that game again. Maybe he's still capable. I, I have, you know, I have my fingers crossed for him. Uh, but I mean, outside of that, right? You look at the back end. The biggest question mark for me is the goaltending. I love Robin Leonard. I think he's going to be fantastic. But now you don't have that safety net of Mark Andre Fleury. You don't have that guy back there that you know is going to. I mean, they just lost their Vesna winner. So you don't you don't have that backup to say okay well if Leonard you know gets in a slump here you know is Brees brought is Brisson gonna come in now, and now you know, in fairness he did have a great year. like Brassois is probably one of the better backups in the NHL I mean last absolutely. year a nine eighteen save percentage uh, throw out the COVID year the year before a nine two five he has had some really nice years uh, yeah and he, he's I'm not certainly capable especially on a really good team. Uh, I wouldn't be too worried about, about that. My, my question wasn't so much the, the doom and gloom. My thought was, is Robin Leonard going to take the Vesna? Like, are we going to see a team? We have two Vesna trophy winners with two different goaltenders in two years. I absolutely think it's, it's more than possible. I, I mean, again, I really like Robin Leonard as a goaltender. I think he's a fantastic player. I mean, he's, he's had success in Chicago, Islanders Buffalo even when they were just super terrible outside of you know those uh you know a couple off seasons and I can't even blame him for that to be quite honest so uh everything else aside he's had nothing but success no matter where he's been so um yeah I I think it's more than capable with this defensive team in front of him right he's got an excellent top three and he's got excellent defensive forwards up front so he is more than capable of putting up some good numbers this season okay I think it's time it's prediction time Let's do it. All right. Uh, do you want to like? Do you want to give your order, or do you just want to go like? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you give your order? You you go 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 yeah. one one through eight. All right, one through eight. Okay. Obviously, I think number one, I'm going to have to go Vegas here. Um, you know, I think they're still the team to beat in this division, and I think uh, the team right behind them is going to get pretty close. The Edmonton Oilers, I think, at number two, they're going to produce offensively, but can they keep pucks out and play a good? defensive game is going to be the question mark so um you know right behind them for me i am going to throw in a wild card team you mentioned before but 
Vancouver Canucks, I think, with Pedersen Hughes signed to start the season. And I think with, uh, you know, maybe an extension for Besser on the way as well. I think this team is poised to to look really, really good with some of the additions they made this year. Um, at number four, I'm going to throw in a team that maybe didn't do so hot last year, but uh, had its had its moments. Um, I like their new combination of their one-two punch down the middle, and that is the L.A. Kings for me. Coming in at number four, I think Kopitar Dano is going to make a fantastic one-two punch at the center position. Uh, beyond that, I think it could be basically anybody's game for me. I'll, I'll go Calgary at number five. Um, I'll do at number six, I'll go San Jose. I think they might surprise a few people and, and be a little bit better with their new goaltending situation. Then I'll put Seattle at seven. And then at number eight, the Anaheim Ducks, I think obviously maybe Gibson gets traded at some point this year, but I think ultimately this team just doesn't find it offensively and finishes at the bottom of the division. Okay. Yeah. We're on the same page. I'll, I'll, I'll just head back up the ladder. Uh, Anaheim will finish last. I think San Jose finishes seven and I think that the Calgary flames finish six, the Seattle Kraken five, the LA Kings four, Vancouver Canucks three, the Vegas Golden Knights too, and the Oilers are going to take that Ooh. one seed. I love it into love the it. playoffs. So, uh, yeah, I I think the Oilers have have a real chance. I, I don't necessarily think they're better than Vegas, but I think that they just have that dynamic. Like maybe not better than Vegas from a playoff standpoint, but in a regular season mode. I think they're really built for the regular season. Like it's just two crazy goal scorers going at it. Like it's it's always going to be a portion of the regular season, a big focus. It's fun. And Vegas is just calmly gonna roll around roll along. I don't think they're really worried about being the number one seed in this division. In fact, it might be to their benefit to just not be the number one seed in this division and just kind of just <laughs> Take out the you know take out the the number three seed because they're probably you know it's it'll be a good matchup but I think that Vegas Vegas in the playoffs is the best team in this division are they necessarily going to go run away with the regular season I I don't know that that happens uh, okay those are our predictions let us know what you think you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ot hockey talk and uh, stay tuned for the Central Division uh, part one as we go through you know the first four teams over there and we will just continue chugging out season previews until the regular season begins early october i can't believe we're actually like <laughs> what a few days away from some rookie camp starting and training camp starts and when was it the 23rd or something like that 21st it's getting there yeah we're stone throws away depending on depending on the team but yeah we're we're almost yeah. there uh, so yeah, we'll s- stay tuned. We'll be we'll be uh, pushing out more episodes as we go along here. Have a good one.